All right, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are finally in chapter 5. We'll be here for the next uh, two weeks beyond today, and then we'll be in 2 Peter. So um, we are getting through this, uh, these two books. Um, like I said, it'll be 30-plus weeks, and so we're going to know First and Second Peter, hopefully. And there's still much that we have really, because of time, we could go deeper, but we've, uh, we've just kept it as it is. Um, over the last couple of years, it's been very difficult in the world of uh, pastors or elders, and we'll kind of use that word interchangeably um, today. Um, this passage is going to be very unique because oftentimes, especially in First Peter, we've seen a lot that you as the congregation can um, apply to your life. Today, it's going, the focus is really, um, especially in this time when Peter wrote this letter, um, this was specifically given to the elders that were leading the churches that these Christians that we've been talking about who were exiles um, in a strange land, foreigners in a strange land, um, they were leading these people. And so now he's kind of talking to the elders. Um, and so elders, pastors, uh, essentially can be interchangeable. Um, and so we know over the last couple of years for everybody, um, the world has changed. It's been crazy. I live in the world of pastors, so I know how difficult that world can be. Just in 2014, doing some study about the role of pastors and elders, um, uh, in 2014, Forbes did an article, kind of did a story on uh, diff the, the most difficult leadership jobs really kind of in the United States, maybe you could say in the world. Um, and on that list, pastoring came up fifth in the most difficult leadership roles that one could have as a career. Um, for those groups, and a lot of secular groups don't rank pastors when they're doing like the most stressful jobs, but for those um, jobs or for those groups that do, um, pastoring usually ranks anywhere from about the third to the fifth most stressful jobs. Um, in January of 2021, which was kind of in the midst of the pandemic, of course, we had all the shutdowns in 2020 and all those things. And a lot of pastors had to learn how to all of a sudden be like online gurus and get online church set up and preach to a camera and no audience and all those different challenges. Um, so in January of 2021, Barna did a study of pastors to see like how many in the last year in that 2020 phase had contemplated um, resigning like getting out of the ministry, going and doing something else, retiring, whatever that looked like. And the percentage that came back out of essentially Protestant pastors was 29% had considered. So about almost a third of pastors had considered like, I'm done with this. I'm not equipped for this. Um, we're moving into a new, new world. Um, I, I'm just, I'm done. Well, then in October of the same year, which is kind of odd for them to do a similar study in the same year, they did the same questionnaire in October of 2021, and then the number had jumped from 29% to 38% of pastors. So almost 40% of pastors who said that they had contemplated in the past um, you know, 12 months resigning, switching careers, but getting out of the ministry. What's more alarming is 46% of pastors who are 45 years or younger, so the next generation of pastors, thankfully I fall in that age range, so I've still got some, if the Lord wills, um, some more time ahead of me. Um, I'm, I'm in my prime. 40 is the new 20, so um, I'm 41. Amen. And so, uh, but 46% of the people in my age range or younger um, has, has contemplated 
um, from 2020, 2021 of just retiring, resigning, uh, finding something else to do. See, because pastoring isn't just this cool gig of having a microphone and a stage and um, getting up and giving you a, a pep talk and, and giving you a motivational speech. Sometimes you probably walk out and be like, I wish it was a motivational speech because that wasn't very motivational. It's not just being able to tell people what you want them to hear. It's not about having a title and being the boss and being in charge. It's um, actually spending um, a lot of time and a lot of effort in studying God's Word to be able to rightly teach it to you so that we do justice to the Scripture and not to my opinion. In fact, um, I thought earlier this year how great it was that we're going through the books of the Bible and how we're going through First Peter because there are times that there are things that I want to say and there's things that I want to go find a Bible verse that I can present to you and it's good that I stick that that I am also held accountable to the scripture so that we teach what the scripture says and not what we want it to say or what we want to say out of maybe frustration or um, weariness or whatever pa pastoring is walking with people through difficult seasons it's burying people you love after they die of course <laughs> you know not on the front end um it's counseling people to make wise decisions only for them to make the opposite decisions and then come back to you for counseling again and again and again. And you're almost like, hey, like if you would start actually doing the things that I maybe counseled you to do, you wouldn't be back here again and again and again. And so it's, it's counseling. Um, many pastors put in excessive hours to get paid very little. And yet, then they're expected to be on demand by whatever church member um, feels their emergency is the most important emergency out of all the emergencies that's taking place. Pastoring is stressful and lonely. It's doing what's right and standing on the truth of God's word and losing friends as a, a result. It's being betrayed by close friends, but not retaliating. It's unprovoked personal attacks and ingratitude, yet despite all of that, and despite all of those challenges, despite all the heartaches, despite the deaths and the, the, the divorces and the, the, the pain that people call you into, the hospital visits, the, all of those things, it's worth it. And there's moments that we as pastors and elders get to see the fruit of our work. And I believe that when we get into eternity, when we go to heaven, it'll all be worth it because we will see the results of the work that we don't see even today. There, there's been times where um, when I managed the substance abuse program um, where I've been sitting in a restaurant and someone has uh, come to me and said, you know, is that Nick Carnes? And, and come up to me and tell me how influential or how helpful I was to them in a substance abuse program when I was managing that, that I had no idea. That sometimes you wonder if you're even getting through to someone, and yet they come to you and tell you just how much their life has changed and how they've stayed clean and sober. And I believe in the work of the ministry, those who are pastors and elders and other ministry leaders will see that one day, the, the things that they don't see today. And so it's very um, difficult, but it's worth it. Paul says this about those who desire to be an elder. First Timothy 3, 1 says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer or an elder, he desires a noble work. It's a noble work to be a pastor. It's a noble work to be an elder. And we need more qualified men, both young and 
old. We, we need more people to, because here's the thing, no one's going into the work anymore. In fact, um, I was listening to a video today uh, or this week of uh, a friend of mine who was going into um, or applying for a, a senior pastor role. He's a, an associate pastor. And so um, I was listening to some of the meeting where um, they were having a business meeting or whatever, those type things just interest me. And so um, it was just because of the circumstances of what was taking place. And um, they had put out an application or, you know, an opening for their job. And they said, um, how many applicants did we get? And the, one of the search committee people said 50. And they were like, just 50 applications? And they had two rounds of like applications, 25 the first time, 25 the next time. And they said, well, normally, um, you know, maybe years ago, especially before COVID, um, it might be 300 applications. It might be 500 applications, but there alone in Georgia are 500 churches that don't have pastors. There, there are 500 churches that just don't have a senior pastor, and yet the trend is even greater with student pastors and youth pastors. No one is going into the work anymore, and so we need more people to aspire to the work. So Peter is giving these certain elders certain instructions as they're leading this group of Christians who are going through persecution. They are going through difficulty. So, so here in our natural flesh, as we've been talking about, you know, Nero who wants to crucify um, Christians, who wants to burn them alive, and, and here Peter is writing this letter not to retaliate and not to um, uh, give in to the things that wage war on our souls. And so Peter's doing what he can to encourage them, but they have local elders, they have local pastors, I'll use that word kind of interchangeably, but they have these, these group of leaders who are um, supposed to be guiding them through this very difficult time. And so Peter writes to them, and he says this in verse 1 and 2, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, and as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. So you can write this down. The church should be led by humble elders. The church should be led by humble elders. Elders or pastors are those who lead the gathered body of believers known as the church. The, the leadership is first and most importantly spiritual, but then that leadership also gets into um, organ organizational and operational because there's decisions that have to be made. There's um, things that have to comply with the, the state laws and regulations. There's a lot of things that if when pastors go to seminary, they get out and they go, they didn't prepare me for this. They didn't prepare me for these kind of decisions. They didn't prepare me for when the, the, the state recommends the church shut down, like how we're supposed to navigate that, what we're supposed to do. They didn't navigate all, they didn't teach us these things. They taught us how to learn God's word, how to teach it, how to maybe care for people, how to do hospital visits. But they didn't teach me the organizational side of things. They didn't teach me the operational side of things, but yet that falls on uh, the shoulders of many pastors um, and sometimes um, other pastors within the team. And so in verse 1, he says this once again, I exhort the elders among you as uh, a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. So Peter here is an elder. He's also an apostle. 
all of the apostles were elders, but not all of the elders in Scripture were apostles. And so he happens to be both. He says that he witnessed the suffering of Jesus. He was an apostle, but also he writes to them as a fellow elder. So as he's giving them this instruction, he's really writing out of his own experience, out of his own calling, out of his own um, life work of being both an elder and an apostle. And he's writing this to them. And he, this is the instruction that he gives these elders, shepherd God's flock among you. Shepherd God's flock among you. Elders are shepherds of God's people. You can write that down. Elders are shepherds of God's people. Shepherd means to feed, to tend a flock, to keep sheep. Um, more deeper meaning that this is the original word for that word shepherd is to rule or to govern. It's to furnish um, pasture for food, to nourish, to cherish one's body, to serve the body to supply the requisites for the soul's need. And so what Peter here is telling this group of elders is to shepherd God's people. So he's given this really picture of what a shepherd would do with, shop, uh, with, with sheep, um, provide them pasture um, uh, to, to feed them, to, to care for them, to tend for them, um, to, to um, take care of their needs, um, to nourish them spiritually, to give them what their soul needs, to tend to them when they're wounded, to tend to them when they're hurting, um, to serve them. Yes, to help govern them as well, but according to the Bible. So that govern and that rule oftentimes will kind of, that uh, is, is kind of rigid. And there's kind of tension with that because we think of a domineering kind of ruler and governor. And so when we hear that, especially in our culture, especially where we're going as a culture, like um, we're moving towards more anarchy where we don't want any government. We don't want any um, structure. We don't want any organization. And so when we hear things like that, our mindset might go to a leader. It might go to a pastor um, that was domineering and very forceful and in that way, very dictatorial. But the shepherd picture, it, yes, a shepherd governs the sheep, tries to keep them and tend to them in a, in a specific area, keeps them organized and together and, and leads them, but he also tends to them. He serves them. He cares for them. He's gentle with them. And so that picture of shepherding is much different than what we may have experienced. And so sometimes it can be very difficult to pe for people to come back into a church because they've been wounded or hurt by one of, one of those domineering, power-hungry, forceful pastors or elders or other authority figures in their life. And, and so this is a messy and difficult work. Sheep can be um, very um, stubborn. I don't know if you've ever seen the video. I didn't have time to get it this week, but the, where they, um, this man helps and gets a, a sheep out of like a ditch, out of this crack in the ground. And then he gets out and he's like, all right, great. And then the sheep takes off hopping and running. And then he jumps right back in the crack in the ground. It's kind of like the counseling I was talking about where it's like, hey, here's, here's what the scripture says. Here's what you should do. And then someone leaves and goes and does the opposite. And then they're right back later going, all right, what do I need to do now? It's like right back in the crack. Sheep can be very stubborn, and so can people, like Brian, who feels this is the time to bath. And I have to deal with it and keep going. It's messy work. It's difficult work. And the reality is, and once again, you're like, what does this have to do with us? Well, this is where Scripture has us. 
Um, there's accountability within the body of Christ. But at the same time, we, we have other leaders here. We have other elders here. We have other um, pastors here, myself included. So when I see this, this is teaching me the truth as well. But many of you are military. Sometimes you're not going to be here for the rest of your life. Your job might relocate you. So this might help you in even finding the right church, not that just feels good, not just that gives you the motivational speech, but that is shepherding you well, that is leading you well. See, the church is Jesus's bride. That, that's what the Bible says. He's the bridegroom. We're the bride. And so as pastors, as leaders, it's our responsibility to steward the bride well, to take care of the bride, to tend to it, to love it. And yes, it's hard sometimes. We're human as well. But, but we are to care for you, not abuse you, because that's abusing someone else's wife. You abuse my wife, you got problems. You, you, you harm my wife, like, I forget I'm a pastor. I'm coming after you, like all Rambo, like you're never going to see me coming. You don't mess with my wife. You don't mess with my bride. But in the same way, we're the bride of Christ. And so it's not an elder or a pastor's um, position at all to abuse the bride, to um, harm the bride. We are to steward you, to care for you, to um, love you, to give you what your soul needs. And so um, verse 2 goes on and says, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. You can write this down. Elders are overseers of God's people. Once again, that's kind of in connection with shepherding. A shepherd oversees. That word elder is an overseer, one who gives oversight, who oversees the body, the church. Um, the word oversee means to look upon, inspect, to oversee or look after and care for. So it's connected with shepherding. He says, you're a shepherd, and as you oversee the body, as you look after it, as you care for it, um, I want you to do these things. Um, oversee is also of the care of the church, which rested upon the elders to look carefully or beware. So a shepherd, an overseer, is also one who doesn't just look after and care for, but it's also the responsibility of the elder and the pastor to beware of danger, to beware of those things that would come and attack the wolves, the, the, those who would cause problems for the body. And so the elder's role of overseer is multifaceted. It includes the responsibility of caring and tending, but it also includes holding accountability, holding the body accountable to what the Word of God teaches, to what the Word of God calls us to. That's the difficult work. That, that's the accountability work. I tell people when they join the church, like, you're putting a weight now on the shoulders of myself and our other elders. Um, we have other elders who help lead the church. Um, you're putting a weight of accountability on us when you sign our owner's covenant, what we call our owner's covenant. We call our members owners because members have rights. Owners have responsibilities. And so um, you're putting a weight of accountability on our shoulders to hold you accountable, not only to the things we're covenanting to together, which are all scriptural based, but to living according to the word of God. And so it's very multifaceted. Accountability is two-faced or, or it's, it's a two-way street when it comes to this within the church. Yes, elders need accountability. 
um, we hold each other accountable. We have a body that there's a process that if one of us sins or if one of us um, uh, has a moral failure or whatever, there's accountability to that. We're accountable to you as the congregation. But also the people are called to be accountable to the elders. And a lot of people like to talk about, yeah, hold me accountable. I love accountability. I need accountability. But then when something happens that they disagree with, a decision's made that they don't like, it's much easier for them in this culture, and we see it all the time, where they will um, just up and leave, and they'll just leave the church and run away rather than be held accountable, rather than be, to, to be told, you're wrong in this. Rather than to be pointed to Scripture and say, this is what Scripture says about this, this is what you're doing or saying or how you're living, and it's easier just to avoid that, to walk away, to run away, because there's a, a church on every corner just down the street. It would take you, there are 62, I think, Baptist churches just in the Augusta Association of Baptist Churches. That's just Southern Baptist churches. Like, you could visit there um, there's uh, 52 weeks in a year. Like you could visit one a year, uh, I mean, one a week, and still not visit all of them throughout the year. That's just Southern Baptist churches. That's not counting Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, non-denom. I mean, like, so there, there are m hundreds of churches here that any number of people can get upset because they don't want to be held accountable, or they're, they're called on their sin. They're called on things that they need to be held accountable for and say, that's it, I'm out, I'm gone and they go down the street. And so it's a two-way street. We have to be held accountable, but those we lead are called to be accountable as well. As followers of Jesus, we're to hold each other accountable and be willing to be held accountable, especially by the elders of the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders and submit to them since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would not be profitable, for that would be unprofitable for you. See, accountability is a part of our spiritual growth. It's a part of our becoming like Jesus. He um, established elders over the church, pastors over the church to help guide you. That's what shepherds do. They guide sheep where they need to go. They guide them to safe area. They guide them to where they can be nourished. They guide them in the right way. That's what elders and pastors are to do, to guide you so that your soul is nourished with the word of God so that you will grow to become like Jesus. That's our responsibility, but you have to be willing to be guided. You have to be willing to be led to those waters, to the pasture that feeds your soul. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that's difficult. Sometimes that's saying, this is sin. This is wrong. This is not what God calls us to. Rather than getting upset and running off, it's yielding ourselves and submitting ourselves to the Word of God. And that's what we as elders have to do as well. Because if we sin, if we're wrong, and the elder group comes to me, or we go to another elder and say, this is wrong, this is not the right attitude, this is not the way we're supposed to approach this, we also have to be willing, humble elders, we have to humble ourselves and trust the leadership that God has established for the church and submit ourselves to one another. And so Hebrews 13 tells us, obey your leaders and submit to them. Elders are given oversight for the development of 
our spiritual maturity. Once again, as I said before, we are also to guard against wolves. Um, in today's time, that's false teachers, that's false teaching, that's those who would devour and destroy the body, especially for the young believers, especially for those who are young to the faith. In Hebrews, before he gets to verse 17, he says this to the body. Hebrews 13, 9 says, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. See, Peter tells these elders, and I would believe that today he would come into our churches and he would tell the elders of the churches today this same thing, to, be, to do this work, to fulfill this role willingly, not out of obligation, not, not out of fear to any man or to any government, not out of shame or guilt that if you don't do it, you don't get it right, that I'm only doing this because I've been asked to do it. I'm only doing this because I feel like this is the right thing to do, but I really don't want to do it. And so I'm doing it because I don't want to feel guilty or full of shame. So, so he's saying, don't do this out of compulsion, but do it willingly, do it joyfully. Do it because you, you, you take pleasure in the work. Peter told them to be overseers eagerly, not out of greed for money. Now, I mean, we've all, you know, if we have a TV or a radio, we've all heard of a pastor who has had a moral failure. We've all heard of those who have embezzled money. They were not uh, treating the church finances well. They had a sexual affair, wh whatever that might be. We, we know that. We see that. But what we see Scripture call us to is to do our work eagerly, but not greedy for money, not greedy for financial gain. In fact, pastors, the Scripture tells us, pastors and elders should be taken care of. In fact, it says that if they are found to be um, honorable, then they should be given double honor, that they should not be having to look here and there so for how they can provide for their family, because uh, Paul said that if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. So what that means is if a man does work, he should be able to eat. He should be able to be provided for. And that's one of the things we talk about sometimes here. In your generous giving, you help make it possible for us to have a family ministries pastor. And Corel over, uh, also helps with um, our worship. He's kind of our interim worship leader right now. To have a student pastor full-time on staff. To, for me to be here full-time on staff. But you know what? I did this work before I got paid. I started this church and was bivocational, but bivocational was only getting paid by one job, and that wasn't the church. We, we, for, for six years, um, we led this church, and was working full, I was working full-time at a, a totally different job. And I was just as eager and just as passionate about the work to, because that's what I was called to do, not because I was getting any money or getting wealthy or anything like that, but because this is what God called me to do. This is the, the work that um, he had put within me to aspire to do. And so for those who are elders, for those who are pastors, for those who aspire to the work, he says, I want you to be um, passionate about it, eager for it, not because you make money, not because of any personal wealth, not because you're going to get a title and you get to maybe oversee some people and be a boss or because you're going to have some sort of power because we know that titles and positions um, can sometimes like... Uh, give you some kind of prestige with people. And, and so that can go to your head. And all of a sudden you think you're something more than you, what you are, and you don't really care about the people anymore. You don't really care about the work anymore. You just care about the prestige and the power and the, the title and being the boss, rather than the gritty work that is required in being an elder and being a pastor. So he says, I want you to do the work eagerly, not for money. And then he goes on 
and in verse 3 and 4 says, um, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Before I get into verse 3, um, I find it interesting in verse 4. See, he tells us in verse 2 not to be eager for the work because of financial gain, because of money, because of greed. But then he says, where's our reward? Our reward's not here on earth, though we should be provided for and taken care of. But what we should be looking forward to is an eternal reward, the crown of glory that we will receive for the work if we do it well, if we are humble shepherds, if we oversee eagerly and willingly without any compulsion or out any, um, you know, greed. Our, our reward is in heaven. Nikki and I had the honor of going to um, a pastor's retirement party. He's been in the ministry for over 50 years. Now, he's not leaving ministry. He's just not going to be a full-time pastor anymore. He used to be in evangelism. And, and as people are honoring him and rewarding him, my thought was this, because he's a very um, uh, just down-to-earth guy. Not wealthy, not prestigious. I mean, he's just a, he's just a servant of God that you may, have, you may never hear about, you may never have heard about unless I was telling you this. He's just a faithful servant of God. I'm going to try to get him here for this is my story. Um, I'd love for him to feed into our team because he got over 50 years of ministry experience. Many years, I think he was at his church pastoring outside of evangelism for over 20 years. I, I can learn from that kind of man. But as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking how this man, maybe he doesn't have a lot of earthly rewards. Maybe he's not wealthy as he retires. Maybe he doesn't have a lot of fancy stuff because he was a pastor and, and, and we're just not known for making a lot of money. And, and so I'm thinking, though, that the word of God does not return void. One, he's retiring and is all of his family's there. His family loves him. He's not lost them. He's not, he's not sacrificed his family for a stage. He's not sacrificed his family for a position, for a microphone. So he still has his family. They love him. But then the word of God does not return void. And so his reward, might, though it might not be on earth, he will be rewarded in heaven. And his greater reward is in heaven. And so this is what scripture is telling the elders is like, hey, don't do it for financial gain. Don't be greedy, but you'll receive the crown of glory in heaven. And we know we're unworthy of that to begin with. We're sinners saved by grace. And so most likely we're going to give that back to Christ because he is the deserving one. He is the one that deserves the crown of glory, not us, but our reward is not here. And that can make the, sometimes the work difficult because it's laborsome. It's difficult, but yet he calls them to be faithful to that. See, he says, not lording it over them. That's how some people do look at leadership. It's about a title. It's about power. It's about position. It's about prestige. But he says, not lording it over them. Um, that, that not to be a pastor who's dictating. Not to be a forceful ruler. Um, but Peter tells the elders to be an example to the people. He says to lead as God would have them to lead, to mimic Jesus. What did Jesus tell us? Matthew 20, 25 through 26. Jesus called them over and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. Verse 26, it must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you 
must be your servant. So he's calling Jesus. Jesus is telling them, how do I want you to lead? What kind of elder would I want for you to be in the church? One who doesn't lord it over them. One who serves the people. One who serves the body. Paul then goes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, I do not mean that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. He says, we're with you. We're not over you. We're not above you. Yes, we're called to govern. Yes, we're called to guide. Yes, we're called to shepherd and to lead, but we lead with you, among you, not over you, not as lords, not as rulers, but as fellow laborers and servants in the church. We're co-laborers in the church. We're co-laborers in the kingdom of God. We're only given specific gifts and maybe abilities and responsibilities to lead the church. But that doesn't make us any greater than anyone else who is among and in the church. And then he closes with this in verse 5. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You can write this down. The church should be comprised of humble disciples. The church should be comprised of humble disciples. That includes the elders, and it includes the people that the elders, the pastors, are called to lead. Elders are to shepherd and oversee the church humbly, and in the same way, the Christians are to clothe themselves in humility and submit themselves to the guidance and the authority of the church's elders. Once again, that authority is not authority. It is, we're called to guide you. We're called to lead you. But he tells us this, that some are not going to do that. Some are going to be prideful. You can't tell me what to do. I've been a Christian for so many years. I've been in this church for so long. Like, some will not allow themselves to be guided because of pride. They don't like a decision. They disagree with the decision. They don't get their way, whatever that might be. And he says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And the truth is, elders can be full of pride because of our position, past accomplishments. Do you know what I've done? I, I heard uh, one elder one time use this terminology, like, who do you think you are? What does that say? Do you not know who I am? Who do you think you are? As if I'm something great. And so we can, um, by our past accomplishments, by our experience, by any number of things, we can be full of pride. But Christians can also be full of pride because of their, own, their wealth. I know people who dictate to the elders and dictate to the church what they want because they are generous to the church. And I'll withhold my finances if you don't do what I want you to do. That's pride. It's um, maybe because of their age or their tenure in the church. Do you know how long I've been here? My grandfather built this wing or my, this is my pew or whatever. Because of their education. Uh, you're just a pastor. I have a doctorate. I have a master's. I have this title, this position. Or once again, any number of things. But the scripture tells us God rejects and resists this attitude no matter which party it comes from. No matter who it comes from, whether it's elders 
or whether it's the entire body of Christ, the Christians. He resists the proud. He rejects that attitude, but he will give grace to those who humble themselves and either lead well as elders or who follow well as the body of Christ. And my encouragement to you today, once again, there's less on your end and more on my end. (laughs) There's more for me to apply and for our elders to apply and our staff pastors to apply than maybe there is for you today. And so, but, but today I would encourage you as we prepare to close to go, Father, am I being humble in my approach to the church or am I being prideful? Am I humbly leading those that you have placed over us in leadership or do I demand my way? Or am I prideful? Or am I resistant in being led? Maybe that's for you today. And I would encourage those who are elders, those who aspire to elders, to look to God's word today and go, God, are we being humble shepherds and overseers who are willing to do the work and who are eager simply because of the work that we get to do, not because of financial gain, not because of personal gain, not because of power, not because of position, but because we get to serve Jesus and his body. Whatever the Lord's speaking to you today, it feels a little warm to me. We have a thermostat problem. It's running. I'm sorry today. Maybe you just pray that our thermostat and uh, HVAC get fixed. But whatever the Lord's speaking to you today, have that conversation with him as we close out. And then let's sing out full of joy and full of celebration on our final worship song. God, we thank you today for this, for your goodness to us. We thank you for this example, mostly for me and for the elders that I get to serve with, our staff pastors, um, that you have given the great privilege and responsibility of leading this body. God, I thank you for the other pastors and elders in this city and around the world who humbly um, lead your church well. And so, Father, we do ask that your spirit would continue to guide us, to empower us, but to also keep our eyes on Jesus and his ways of leading, but also on your word, that we might lead ourselves well, that we might hold ourselves accountable, so that as we lead your people, we will represent you, and we will represent your ways, and we will represent the truth of your word, so that when we lead, we lead with integrity. So, Father, I pray today for myself. I pray for my fellow um, servants that you have allowed to be in the position of eldership and, and pastoring. But Lord, I also pray for our church. I pray, Father, that as you have spoken to us through your word, that we would listen, that we would obey, and that we would all choose humility, that we would resist pride, we would resist our own way, and that, Father, we would hold each other accountable, that we would not bow up in pride or rejection when someone calls us not to their own preference, not to their own desires, not to their own convictions, but Father, to the Word of God, to Scripture. May we always yield our own wills to your will. May we always yield our lives to the truth of your Word. We love you. We thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.